again, guys. I'm Danny. And I'm Molly. And it's Black Chick Lit. We're, We're back. back. Um, Didn't you ban us from saying that this year? I did, but I mean, I haven't worked on an intro, so I don't know what to say. I'm not a naturally. <laughs> <laughs> I studied print in school. I don't know how to speak in public. Um, but yeah, but okay, then we're here. How about that? Hi. More, more empowering. We're here. We're here. Uh, we are in the month of March. Birthday week is next week. Next week or two weeks? I mean, well, my birthday is next Sunday. Oh, our birthdays, I don't think, are in the same week this year. Oh, that sucks. So for those of you who don't know, Molly and I have like a five-day five difference days, between our yeah. birthdays. And I have the same birthday as your brother. Yep. So in school, it was like birthday week. Yeah, it was, was it was birthday time. <laughs> when we were young and birthdays were still cool. Right? There's, it's there's the big some, one. Is it for you? It's the big one, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yay, happy. Well, you've done a lot this year. So you're <laughs> cool. I have like, actually, I didn't, I realized this year, like 30 was not as bad as like 31. And I don't know if it's because my plan last year to like celebrate so that I don't notice that I'm turning 30 worked uh. or if it's like. 30 is seen as the end of your 20s, whereas now 31, like, I'm full in 30s now. Like, it feels like I'm having a bigger crisis about 31 than really? I did 30. Yes. Because, like, 30, it's like, woo, you made it. And then it's like, oh, it's still going. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're in it now. So, I don't know. Yeah. But we could talk about my issues another time. <laughs> we don't need to do that now. How are you, Danielle? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm good. Feeling a lot better <laughs> oh, than you were, probably the last time. You were sick again? No, but I don't okay. know. Like, you, I think I was still a little bit under the weather the last time I recorded. Oh, that's right. You were a bit, yeah. Your voice was like, I'm sort of coming back, but don't push me. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, but I think we're, I'm doing okay. I mean, spring is hopefully coming. The cold is going away. Yeah. So. It's been cold ooh. here. Has it really? What's cold? Well, what's California cold? Like 40s, 50s. Oh, okay. That's a little chilly. Yeah. So, well, that's that's St. Louis warm because it was <laughs> 60 and we were all like, yeah, people were pulling out shorts. I actually did go buy a pair of shorts at Target the other day. <laughs> I was like, it's coming. Um, so let's get into the news. We have some um, fun news. Mm-hmm. Relevant. This is our first episode post the release of Black Panther. That's true. I loved it. I liked it. I liked it a lot. Yeah. I saw it three times because every group of friends I had like was like, you want to go? You want to go? So I went with three different groups. <laughs> uh, I only saw it once. I want to see I, it again, but I've only seen it once so far. Yeah. I will say I recommend uh, a repeat listening because I've been listening to like, so I also listen to movie podcast and like everyone keeps asking these questions and I'm screaming at them like they explained that like <laughs> everything is explained, but you miss it on that first watch. Uh, like people have all these questions like what's the tattoo? How did they get the tattoo? And I'm like, they explained it. So you just have to watch it through <clears throat> repeatedly. Yeah. So what, what were your what were your thoughts overall? I really liked it. I thought it was like really smart how they wrote it. Um I have some spoilery thoughts, but I won't say them here just because. But I thought Michael B. Jordan was, like, one of the strongest villains in their entire MCU. I mean, dude had some good ideas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, people have been sharing, his like, like with that uh, Marge Simpson gif, like, he's right, but he shouldn't say it. <laughs> and I really love the guy who played uh, M'Baku, Winston Duke. Who's that? Oh, he's the guy, oh, the guy, the Q, basically. The mountain, the, <laughs> Yes, the cube. 
<laughs> the mountain guy. Yes. Cues are perfect. That's exactly what he was. He was a cue. He was hilarious. Yeah. The mountain warrior. I loved him. I was like, ah. Oh. So he's apparently Trinidadian. I did like, like, there was such representation of, like, that diaspora. Yeah, there really was. And, like, the cast. I really loved it. Yeah, so. it was great. I loved but it. S- I, ugh, I don't know. <laughs> I really want to, like, spoil things. That should be a bonus episode of ours. We could. We could do talk Black Panther. That does bring up, do we want to do something with a wrinkle in time? It's by, it's by Oprah and Ava, and it's book-related. It seems like it we seems should. It seems like we should. I don't know. I'm I'm very torn. Like on the one hand, I really love Ava DuVernay. Um, Oprah, like I didn't really grow up watching her. Um, oh, I did. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel I feel conflicted about Oprah sometimes. Like some of the things she says and some of the things she does, I'm like, Oprah. Hmm. But then you know, I'm, you're just making a case for a bonus episode. I so know, that you right? Can talk about that. So you can talk about your feelings about Oprah. And then I, I hate, I, I actually literally hate that book. I think we talked about it in like, what's a book that you hated or something like way back and when. I haven't, yeah, I haven't read it, and I was debating getting it. I would have to buy it because there's a waiting list now at the library. It's like, oh, I don't want you should be able to get that somewhere. <laughs> oh, probably, yeah. <laughs> So it sounds like maybe we should, because that could be fun. Maybe we, sh- maybe we should do like a movie doubleheader then. Black Panther and... And Wrinkle in Time. Because I really, yeah. really, truly want to gush over um, uh, Black Panther and just how much I loved it and like specific lines and things. Yeah. Um, but I know, like, obviously, you- I feel like everyone hearing my voice right now has seen it, but <laughs> just in case. <laughs> yeah, I know how the internet is. So, yes, then I think that's the thing we should do. Okay. That may, that'll probably happen. We will have somewhere in this schedule. Will it become a chat? I mean, we could fit it. That could be our chat, essentially, since it is basically related to our question. Yeah. It's related to our question this week, which we will get to. So leading to that, some other news we have, both, I'm not going to mispronounce her last name, Danai Guerrera, Guerrera, sorry, and Lupita Nyong'o. Um, are going to star in an adaptation of Chimamanda Ngozi uh, Adichie's Americana. Yes. For a TV. It's coming to TV. Yes. So I would also like to tell everybody, I said uh, <laughs> Danae's name, and she was like, oh. And Molly I was like, was like who, oh. who? And then she said the name of Black Panther. I was like, who, who? And I was like, oh, Michonne. <laughs> <laughs> so more popularly known from The Walking Dead, yes. And so Tupac's she, mom. Oh, I haven't seen that movie. I haven't seen it either. <laughs> I just know she plays two Fox <laughs> You just know she's in there. So I have to. See, so yeah, they're starring in an adaptation of Americana. I've been thinking I need to read that one. So this will probably spur me. Read it. That should read be it. maybe that yeah. should be a pick because that, um, I was thinking that could be a good pick. There's a lot to discuss in that book. I think. Um, yeah. And um, obviously, people really like it. I I think the movie's going to be awesome. I'm th- I'm hoping. So I think Lupita is going to play. Ifemelu and um, uh, uh, Denai is going to play the aunt, which I think is really like perfect casting. I think it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't want to get too much into it until, you know, because you haven't read it. So maybe that's a, yeah. maybe that's a to be read. That should be, a, yeah, that should be a good pick yeah. for later. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of excited. I'm really feeling like we're living in a, despite how, Officially, the or the government is all effed up. We're living in a good time of like, or Black like a creatives. burgeoning time. Well, of like representation, just yeah, on so many levels between books and TVs and movies. Yeah, 
So I'm really hyped for it. So, yay. Um, I was thinking there was something else that we had to discuss, but I mean. I thought there was two, I but I can't remember. <laughs> and it's not on my sheet, so I'm lost. <laughs> um, maybe it wasn't. We did touch on A Wrinkle in Time coming out next week. That comes out next week? That comes out Friday, like the 9th. So it's, it's coming up. It's coming up. up quick. Yeah, which is why I need to read that book. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so I'm actually excited for the, for like what our first on screen movie review episode. Oh yeah, that should be cute. So that'll be fun. So that's yeah, I think that'll be really great. So look forward to that. Um, I think that might be the news because I kind of want to discuss because I went and so we have our book for this month mm-hmm. was this will be my undoing living at the intersection of black female and feminist and white America by Morgan Jerkins. That's what we're discussing this episode. I got to hear her speak at Left Bank Books. She was a lot tinier than I thought. It was really fun. She also got interrupted by a cat, which prompted a mini Twitter rant, which was kind of fun. Uh, I realized I didn't add that to the sheet, and I need to add it because I can't just drop that without some kind of subtext. So the bookstore she spoke at called Left Bank Books is like the big local independent bookstore in St. Louis. That's the one I go to when I'm like, ooh, I need need to support local bookstores. They have a bookstore cat. Uh Uh-huh. And his name is Spike, named after Spike Lee. And so she was speaking, and um, he was, like, just, you know, doing what cats do, working his way through the uh, (laughs) aisles. And she saw his tail, because he has a big, fluffy tail. Uh And I think it spooked her. (laughs) (laughs) And so she, like, jumped, and she, like, stopped mid, like, just got to, like, laugh about it. But then later she went on Twitter and sort of, like, tweeted about how, like, it's the most male thing to, like, (laughs) interrupt a woman speaking. Uh (laughs) The Riverfront Times sort of writes it a bit. I don't think they realize she's being facetious. They, I think they think she's being... Serious. Yeah, I mean, they may be being facetious, too. They're kind of a bullshit newspaper. Like, they tell the news, but they're also... They're also, she, like, they have their own editorial voice. So it was funny. Because she was straight up... She was definitely startled by, like, this cat wandering around the shop. That's cute. Yeah, so... I want a bookstore just so I can have a bookstore cat. So it was fun. It was nice to hear her speak and to hear some of her processes about like how she wrote it and why she wrote certain things and why she included certain things, which I think we'll ask at one point. Mm-hmm. So hopefully I can get some, uh, we can add some of her insight to our discussion today. Yes. I also got to meet one of our listeners. Oh. Yeah. At Tammy J. And then I also sounded crazy when I tried to tell Morgan Jerkins. <laughs> That we have a because you said this happened to you. You were like at some RuPaul Drag Race fan event, and you were talking to somebody. Yeah, and you're like, oh, I have a podcast. You sound insane when you tell people yeah, in the real world that like, you have a podcast. Hey, you listen to me talk sometimes. Hi. <laughs> I don't even tell a lot of my friends because it's like it's it's weird. Oh yeah, yeah. I told one of my coworkers, and he told everyone at, at work. So. <laughs> A few of my coworkers found it because, like, they see me on Twitter uh, and I like it's linked on my Twitter header. Uh-huh. And then <laughs> I think my boss found it because she found my personal website. It was really funny because, like, she manages our website and I had linked to my job's website, so she found it there. And then she found my Twitter and she found the whole thing. And I was like, <laughs> I'm so embarrassed. Please don't listen to listen to certain episodes. Some of them I think are stronger. <laughs> like the chat ones get a little blue. I don't need people I work with listening to them. So, but it's fine. We're proud of what we do. <laughs> Just, are you still there? Yeah. 
Okay. <laughs> like I'm, you're like I'm just hiding my face. But yes. So no, it was fun. It was a fun event, and I was like, I need to go to more book events. Yeah, yeah, they're fun. I bet you I have a whole bunch. Not the any that I go to. Because <laughs> <laughs> like I was like looking into it, the lady who wrote an American Marriage, uh-huh. also getting adapted for TV. Oh, wow. Now that I think about it, she was here recently, and the guy who wrote Lincoln and the Bardos, he was here. Oh, George Saunders. Yes, I missed both of them. And I really wanted to go to the American Marriage one. Oh, yeah. Because I read that one. Interesting. So, so, but yeah, so, but it was fun. So, and it's like, I need to go read, I need to go to more book events. So, <laughs> before we get into that, though, we should, we've got another sponsor. Yeah, we're making them big I'm, bucks. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> Paying some bills. Yes. So, this was, we're working with Mocha Girls Read for this one, Um do you want to go ahead and uh, read our intro and tell us what it's all about, Mom? Yeah. Um, so this month's episode is sponsored by Claretta Street by Colette Barris. Um, this is the story of Pacoima, a bustling little town in the 60s located in the San Fernando Valley of Southern California. Uh, Claretta Street follows the lives of four young African-American girls known as the ba- as the babies. I almost said Barbies. As the baby, I did too. Every time I see it, I want to call I know, buddies. and I, 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 I um, said, "Oh, let's pick it so I could read it," because <laughs> reading out loud <laughs> is hard, y'all. <laughs> um, follows the lives of four young African American girls known as the Babies, growing up in the vortex of the turbulent changes of the '60s, becoming young adults in the decadent and destructive '80s. Claretta Street by Colette Barris takes the reader on a ride of unbelievable clarity and cause as Denise, an ancient griot? I believe so, yeah. African storyteller. Oh. <laughs> for becomes the voice of the diaspora, both prophetic and naive, um, stripping down in plain view the causes and emotions of a time of great hope and sadness to preserve through decadence and decline. Claretta Street is the story of hope and change coupled with the unfortunate forces and juxtaposition of man's inhumanity and struggle, all the while seeking hope and love. Pacoima provides the foundation for Colette Barris's remarkable journey to author, and she is a graduate of the ah, a graduate of the University of Southern California. So if you go to the Mocha Girls Read website, they are doing, again, they're doing their virtual book tour. Um, I know last month they were hosting questions on their Facebook page, so you should definitely go to mochagirlsread.com. And find them on Facebook to check it out and learn more. Yeah. So, woo, I had, like, I love, can I just say this? I think the best mm-hmm. part of that whole blurb was uh, the decadent and destructive 80s. <laughs> <laughs> because, yeah, that's, that's the 80s. Yeah. Kind of a mm. mess. <laughs> kind of a mess. Yeah. Uh, like, we could talk on our high horses in 2018, <laughs> though. <laughs> I, that's also true, but also I've been listening to a lot of uh, true crime stuff lately, and it's like, um, do not get murdered in the 70s and 80s because no one will care. <laughs> like, <laughs> they're like, we've got 500 other bodies. It doesn't matter who you are. <laughs> Regardless of race and class, you get murdered in the 70s, your body, you're, you're dead to everyone. Um, we're never I figuring that one that out. life tip in mind. <laughs> yeah, that's my PSA. Don't get murdered in the 80s. Um <laughs> So, yes, yeah, so thank you to, again to both Mocha Girls Reads for that opportunity and to the book sponsor for helping yeah, us out. Yeah, and if you guys, I don't know, we talked about this, but if you guys have any sponsorship, um, any books you would like us to plug or would like to 
talk about um, having us do a little blurb on the podcast, uh, hit us up. Um, you can find us everywhere. We'll go yes. through it specifically at the end. But yes. And I'm thinking we should probably add like a four authors page on the website. That seems That's like true. it would be helpful. We're, That's true. We're learning this as we go, y'all. I know. Some people are like <laughs> reaching out to us. It's like, uh, we don't know. <laughs> So, yeah, we're going to put that together. So thanks again. So on to our book discussion. Um, I have a synopsis. There's not really a synopsis to this one because so I'll just read it. This will be undoing is a collection of essays by Morgan Jerkins about life in America as a black woman. This 10 essay collection covers topics including growing up black and female dating, sex, politics, Michelle Obama, Jerkins career, her family and of course, black girl magic. So I'm just going to read the names of the essays. I realize this would have been helpful to do when we did our uh, We Are Never Meeting in Real Life (laughs) discussion, because like sometimes we would go back and I'm sure if you were just listening. And we were jumping around referencing a whole bunch of them. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So so there's Monkeys Like You, which sort of talks about her growing up and experience she had in high school, Um, How to Be Docile, which is I think it was kind of like satirical about like how to be a, a woman in modern America. The Stranger at the Carnival, which escapes me. I have to look at that one to remember exactly what that one's about. A Hunger for Men's Eyes, A Lotus for Michelle, Black Girl Magic, Human Not Black, Who Will Write Us, How to Survive, A Manifesto on Paranoia and Peace, and A Black Girl Like Me. So those are the titles of the 10 essays. Um, I don't know if we're going to mm-hmm. get into each one of them because I think some of them have more to talk about than others, but mm-hmm. there they all are. So let's get, like, what did you think right off? Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I can start if you want, or you can start. I like. Go ahead, go ahead. Well, I'll say, I think the writing in this, so I was telling Molly, like, this is a much more subtle, I also realized we've read more essays than I thought, because I was listening, like, oh, well, I guess we did read uh, Roxane Gay's Hunger, and we read. Um, this we are never meeting in real life. So I was like mm-hmm. thinking, so I haven't read a lot of essays before, and then I realized I have. And I think <laughs> compared to those, the subject matter that um, Morgan Jerkins writes about is much more low key. Like yeah. it's much more like every day, and like there's no big. Like I feel like with Roxane Gay's hers, like she was definitely talking about her struggles with her weight. And if you read that book, there was a definite trauma in that book that was yeah. sort of yeah. That was. It was about that. Like, yeah. I, I think that, I think that, um, the we can other say two it was essays, a rape. Yeah. Yeah. The rape. Um, I think the other two essays had a clear focus. Like, I think this is probably more similar to, um, uh, Irby's book, and that it kind of like is going through her life and, um, commenting on, you know, kind of taking her life as, as an example and then blowing that up to explore a bigger issue mm-hmm. um but it, it it didn't feel i i don't know i don't know i'll save my my parts <laughs> for my turn <laughs> well and i was just gonna think on that i think samantha irby had a much more clear like comedic voice like she yeah. was writing she she's funny when she writes yeah. hers whereas i think Jurgens is more introspective. I'm sounding like I don't like this book. I actually, I think I liked it more uh-huh. than Molly. I didn't mean to give away Molly's thing like that. I'm <laughs> sorry. I liked it, but I think it's not as big of um, 
Like those other books felt like they were a bit bigger in what they were doing. And this one is a much more subtle and low key, which is why it probably took me a while. Like it wasn't a book I was like, oh, I really got to pick it up and see what happens next. Oh, I really, really need to go back and keep reading it. It was more yeah. like a pick up and re- read it as I did kind of like I wasn't in a rush to read it. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, it was I will say there were moments in the book that I found really relatable. I think probably most especially that first chapter, which I think in some of the reading groups I've been in caused a bit of a not controversy, but it did get some people to side eye, I think, as Molly would say. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So mainly because, I mean, and you've had this experience like being like a black girl in a majority white school. You do some things that are cringy, but we can talk about that. Yeah. So. I don't know if you, I definitely did. I definitely did. <laughs> I don't know. Let's, let's talk about it. Cause that, that, that trails into what I was kind of thinking about the book, especially that first essay. Let me ask you just a very honest question. Okay. Ha, was there ever a time like in your youth when you wished that you were white? I don't think I ever wanted to be white, but I think mm-hmm. there were times where I wanted what white girls had that I could never get. So mm-hmm. I had like more body, like I was, he- like I'm heavy now, but I was even fatter as a kid. So my thing was kind of more weight. So, mm-hmm. and like most of the white girls in our school were like, they were like very thin and white and they had like long hair. And I kind of wanted that. Even if I didn't explicitly say I want to be white, mm-hmm. like I never pictured myself with blue eyes or anything, but I did. I wanted to be like thin and have like the hair and the clothes, I guess if that makes mm-hmm. sense. So I did think about that too. I don't know if... I don't know anybody who, I don't know anyone who really like, I wish I was white. But I feel like we see that so many times in um, like books Mm -hmm. by fiction and nonfiction by um, like people of color, black people. Like I see this a lot in Korean adoption tales. Like it, it seems to be a trend where there's always this thing in the person's life where they say, I wish I was white. I wished I was white. I always wanted to be white, something like that. And I kind of got that from that first essay. Yes. And I want to say that I understand that that's some people's experience, but it it's like you said earlier, it's not a lot of our experiences. So I don't, I don't understand why that all, that type of narrative always seems the one to be the one that gets, um, retold or pushed out there or best-selling you know what mm-hmm. I mean yeah like this idea that oh I just really want to be white is not a thought that I've ever had in my life right um and so just that this when we see these girl coming of age stories that that plays such a big role I kind of side I like well who's really pushing that like can we hear from the girls who didn't want this like didn't have this thought were exploring blackness and questioning blackness, but outside of a white gaze. Right. And she did sort of at the speech, she said the reason that the white is so present is because like, I guess I'm going to ruin it. She was a lot more articulate about it than I was, but she's Mm -hmm. like, that's our reality. It's like who she is, is shaped by like our reality is shaped by like how black, or like black people are impacted by like how white people view them and shape them. So she's like, she's like, I can't not be aware of it because it is always there. So I think that's why she included it. And I mean, I, I, I believe that's true. Mm -hmm. I believe that's probably more true for some than others, but I, I feel like my biggest problem with this book was that she was kind of blowing up 
like this is what it's like and it's like no girl like <laughs> that did not look like my childhood and I ooh, I just just to say like oh we can only think about black and this is not um maybe I'm reading it more into it but what I got from this and what I got from your from your quote right now is that blackness only exists in relation to whiteness and it's kind of like oh I know that the two you know for it's it's slippery like the ideas of blackness and whiteness and where they come from and that one was like only exist to exclude the other and it's like you know we the way we talk about black and white we're always talking about them together but I think that you can form an idea of blackness and what it means to be black and what it means to be a black woman within a black community and with black role models in your life and that the white part of it the white influence can be doesn't have to be that big all the time like we taught we were talking earlier about all these um all this representation that we're seeing now in the in books and tv shows and movies it's still not equal but things like black panther and a wrinkle of time and they're going to be kids that are growing up seeing themselves more represented um than has been traditionally the case mm-hmm. and i think that we need to re-examine this thought that we can only like the way we come into our blackness is because some white girl at school didn't like the way our hair looked or because uh um you know, we didn't get on the cheerleading squad because of the white people didn't like us. I don't know. I keep, whenever <laughs> anyone asks me about this book, I say, um, like, I just happened to watch uh, Soul Food. <laughs> oh, I haven't seen Soul Food in so long. <laughs> right? So my my fiance had um, never seen it. So I was like, oh, let's watch Soul Food. It's so good. So we were watching it. And it really made me think, like, here's a movie about Black people who are living in a Black world, whose references, whose touchstones are Black, whose neighbors are Black, whose businesses are Black. And yeah, there's some silliness in it. And there, it's like not like they're living in some... It's not like they're living in Wakanda where everything <laughs> is great and perfect. And there's no racism or um, sexism that touches their lives. But, like, they're not stopping to say... Um, what do the white people think? What do the white people think? What do the white people think of me? What do the white people think of me? It's like they're living in a world that is black. And that is an experience people have when they grow up and live in black neighborhoods. Like kind of like, okay, getting into the specifics. When she, that one where she's walking around and she goes to like the bodega at night or something to get gum or high chew or something. Mentos. And... Mentos, Mentos. And um, the guy, like, is aggressive toward her. Mm-hmm. Like, that that chapter, especially when she's, like, riding on the train and, like, talking about how loud everyone is in Brooklyn and she's, like, so overwhelmed by it and so surprised. And it's, like, but the, you, and, like, saying, like, oh, wow, well, this is just what blackness is like. It's, like, yeah, girl, the people who you're looking at and, like, thinking these thoughts about that's their lived experience and you are kind of the outsider. That doesn't mean that one of you is more black or one of you is less black. It just means that, you know, we exist in a lot of different ways without, um, without always having to 
to center our experience or cater our experience to a white audience. Maybe that didn't make any sense, but... No, it did. And I would like to talk about that because that was a separate uh-huh. essay because that one was, that whole essay was wild. But um, going back to like that first school one, I think she does sort of say that because along with, so in this essay, she wants to, it talks about how she grew up and how, I will say it like Molly said, I never wanted to be white. I may have wanted things that I saw a lot of white girls having, which yeah. I realistically cannot, will never have. But I didn't actually think, I don't, I wish I was white. Like, I never wanted to right. be white. And I think that anything. that's like a much more complicated yeah, relationship. sentiment that you had than just like, I wish I was white. Yeah. It's like, oh. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, but she goes out for a cheerleading um, to join the cheerleading team. And it's like her and maybe two other, or maybe one other black girl. But, I think one black girl and one like Dominican girl. Yeah. So, or maybe Latina. Yeah. Someone. Yeah. And then another thread in that same chapter is her relationship with this other black girl who is yeah. sort of presented as the, the don't like the bad example of black femininity. And she does, I will say, give her the credit. Like she points out how bad or like her thought how wrong her thoughts processes were yeah. about how they were both just black girls trying to deal trying to make it in a world that was in a school that was mostly white and I think um not really representative of them so I think she does sort of acknowledge like this was her experience and she does acknowledge that her thoughts in the beginning may not have been the healthiest or even the most or even fair mm-hmm. so um Yeah, which I think is totally fine to write about your experience. But I think a lot of these essays are like tiptoeing on the lines like this is how it is for a black, like presuming to speak for a lot of different people who whose experiences she's obviously not as familiar with Mm -hmm. and who sometimes she seems to condescend to a little bit. Yeah. Like if I'm just being very honest, like I don't think she can really talk about that other girl's experience in right. a way that the, that seems authentic. Right. I think she was also maybe um, protected in that she's a very light-skinned Black person. I don't know if we've talked mm-hmm. a lot about colorism on the podcast yet, mm-hmm. but she does sort of acknowledge that sometimes people will look at her and, like, ask if she was Latina or if she was biracial. So I think, and I think it was sort of pointed out that the other girl who was, she, so she was bullied by this girl, was darker yeah. So I think that could be a conversation too. But I don't know, I just sort of related to that one because I never like I was maybe one of like four or five black girls in my elementary school stronger than like high school or middle school. Everyone high school and middle school was a little bit better, but like elementary school was where it was worse because I was like maybe one of like five black girls mm-hmm. and I was like heavier than even the black girls. And so <clears throat> sorry, heavier than even the black girls, so I sort of felt awkward to begin with so reading about her awkwardness like it did it gave me some like second hand like I remember that it was terrible so I found yeah yeah. cringe so even for all its problems I sort of found that first essay to be like maybe the most relatable I was like oh I remember that yeah it was bad yeah interesting yeah so and that's the one that's titled monkeys like you which comes from a line that I think um her friend she has a friend who's Filipina, and yeah. her parents later come back that they don't want me hanging out with monkeys like you or something, which is like, yeah. ouch. So, so, I do. You brought it up, <laughs> and I can't. We need to get into it. 
Uh-huh. The, uh, <laughs> the one you were talking about in the bodega, which is in the yeah. essay, A Hunger for Men Eyes, where she gets, let's just say, very personal and very honest about her relationships with, like, men and sex. Yeah. So what did you think of that, like, that whole essay? I thought, um, like, on a structural level, it was a little bit all over the place. Like, te- you mean, like, technically and writing-wise? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought it was interesting. But I think probably this was the one that had me the most, like, hmm. And I was just kind of flipping through some uh, um, Goodread reviews earlier, <laughs> and I just happened to see a one-star review. And I was oh, like, no. well, I wouldn't give it one star. But she really is, like, this... This girl is Gabriella. Um, it is right here. It's like the third, the third one on my page. But uh, she's she's comparing this particular um, essay to the one that she's referencing. I can't remember if it's in this one about being like a black gentrifier. Um, and I can't. So she wrote she wrote a book like one of the first essays it seems like that really hit off with her was in The Guardian and it's called I'm a Black Gentrifier in Harlem and it's not a good feeling. Huh, I haven't read I should have read that one. I haven't. And um so this one definitely this particular essay is kind of like uh, oh okay. And I guess that she got a lot of negative feedback. Mm-hmm. about this and she kind of talks about um meeting like one of her um neighbors who's an older guy I can't remember if he's like a professor or he he like is a curator at a museum he has a real like uh like uh like artistic kind of job so he had read it and he was like oh I'm gonna take you to this museum and he was showing her all this stuff so she addresses it but I, I thought that this that those same kind of ideas, and again, what you were hinting at with the, with her descriptions of the bully in school, um, I, I found them strongest in this essay. Just kind of uh, uncomfort with, like, uh, New York, Harlem black <laughs> life, like it's a certain type of black. It kind of seems black experience. She kind of seems more standoffish about I know I'm not I'm dancing around it but it's hard to describe like I something think, in her was uncomfortable with it and that made me uncomfortable reading it oh that's that's a good that's a good way to describe some of the parts in the thing yeah I think I will say this her you touched on it this is like a very like she never claims for it to be speaking for all women I think it's supposed to be insight but yeah it's some of the experiences I can't relate, like the bodega. So she read that scene actually out loud at the reading. Mm-hmm. She read the thing about like um, going to the bodega, having the man like try to push um, yeah. DMX, <laughs> a DMX concert. <laughs> it's like, sir, sir. <laughs> we all know DMX ain't coming back. But um, that's the one she read out loud. And it was weird because like the emotions I could relate to the experience. I couldn't, but it was, it was interesting reading. I thought that, that, uh, so she has multiple experiences in this chapter. She writes about, she sort of writes about how she met a man and she, how she felt sort of pressure to do things she didn't want to do physically because she wanted him to love her. She sort of talks about another episode about how she was worried about how she would never be, I guess, 
how she was like, I think becoming, we sort of had this, like we hear this, that there are not enough black men to go around or something. So we think that if we make ourselves too successful, we won't find anyone. And she sort of talks about later about this incident where she goes to a bodega, a man is sort of over, I don't, he doesn't. So here's the thing. It's an actually interesting and I'm glad she included it. He doesn't do anything in the chapter that on paper seems that intimidating or threatening. He's kind of pushy. He makes her um, put his number in her phone so that if he wants, she wants tickets to this DMX concert, <laughs> which she definitely will not uh, wants tickets to this DMX concert. He can call, he, she can reach him and get them. And then um, she, he's sort of like, he's just very aggressive and she's not comfortable with yeah. it. And she sort of realizes that she can't tell anybody like she, what can she do? She can't call her friends and, say how upset she is like because they she says it'd be three hours just to get there what can he do the guy's already gone she can't go to the police because she knows you know black men interactions with police are not always guaranteed to end you know safely yeah so I thought that was kind of a good moment because I've had in my own like dating life these moments where they don't do anything on paper or like talking out loud that is bad or legal but you have this feeling of being sort of pressed or feeling like you can't or feeling like you're being pressured to do something or to behave a certain way because you are afraid of what, how they will react, if that makes any yeah. sense. So I no, yeah, it does. So that part of the chapter I thought was really good. And I'm glad she included, cause I mean, I'm glad she included that as opposed to like, and I don't know what she's had, but like compared to another, no, I don't want to say that. That sounds. I'm just glad she included it, because not all of the harassment and things women face are like these traumatic incidents. Sometimes it's the microaggressions, and they tend to get overlooked and looked down on just because they like. Well, it could have been worse. Roxanne Gay actually has an episode or a collection of essays that's titled something exactly like that. Not oh, really? that bad or something. Um... So. Yeah. So there was also a part of the chapter where I was very uncomfortable, where she kind of <laughs> talks about her porn consumption habits. And I would just like yeah. to, we don't need to get into it, but I would just like to say the fact that she wrote it all down, let it get published <laughs> for all the world to read was something. Because she has some, she sort of talks about how she got like started watching porn and it was like not gentle, like soft core Cinemax porn either. So it was just interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, like I said, the chapter was, there was a lot of the chapter. Because was this the one, too, where she was talking about the guy who was in the military? That, was that the, I think that's the part where it leads to the success. Like, he was in the military, and she, they got along very well, but he wanted, like, a friends with benefits thing, and she didn't. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other guy, the backpack guy, I think, was in this chapter, too, and they broke up somehow like a lot of it kind of I read it a little while ago we were um dealing with some hosting so we've been it's been a couple yes. weeks late which we apologize for. but hey but, we um, got we got room now we got room hey, to grow <laughs> we got room to grow we here um, our website could stop emailing me threatening messages <laughs> get your shit down <laughs> Take your shit no. and go. <laughs> they they basically said they called Danny and said you better call Tyro. <laughs> Pretty much, they're like you're taking up too much space. You got to go. Like, you were he supposed to, to spend just a weekend on our couch, and now it's been three months. 
Seriously, you better call. You gotta go. Yeah. Get your shit. So, um, so yeah, if I'm struggling to remember, so the more fine, like the finer points. Um, what did you think about the essay? What was it? How to raise a black girl. That one was interesting because so that's the second one, right? It's like, or is that how to be? Uh-huh. Wait, am I mixing it up with how to be docile? Maybe it's how to be docile, but I think like the refrain is how to raise. Yeah, that's like the yeah what she keeps saying. Yeah, that's yeah that's weird because the now that you say it, the title doesn't match the point of view that it's written in. The title is how to be docile, which would imply it's written to the black girl. But then when you read the text, so like the first one is it's like about the it's written to the parent. Yeah, so like yeah, bullet one is. When your black child exits the womb and you hear her loud wailing, save her and remember it for as long as you can. That's the loudest the world will ever allow her to be in a room where multiple people are present. So that's kind of, I mean, it, maybe it's nothing, but I just think it's funny that the title is written to one audience, but then the actual, we want to get. You would miss copy editor, point that out. <laughs> I can't turn it off. Yeah. Perhaps she meant like, okay, by it, in doing this, Thing to other black women this is how we all become docile that could be it too because i think it does sort of it does feel like it's written to the woman as because that's she sort of implies that's your job is to have right to have kids so i don't, I yeah. don't know it's an interesting distinction yeah. though so um because i i like i like that essay i thought it was um like a little more poetic, a little more abstract. It has a style um, compared to some of the other ones. It de- yes. And it, I felt like it was a little bit clear in its direction. Um, but it felt a little bit out of place, too. Yeah. Like that and what is it? A Lotus for Michelle, which I actually liked a lot, too. That's funny that we like the ones that are more like styled and more prosy compared to yeah. the more like memoir ones. Because yeah. I like the Lotus for Michelle, too. Um, how to be docile is good. It's basically, I don't know, what's the total number of bullet points? It's basically just a list of bullets um, on how, to, 22 bullet steps on how to raise a black girl to be quiet and small and not take up too much room and be docile, essentially. And what's really funny is, like, how hypocritical a lot of them are. Yeah. Like, step one or, like, step seven, I think, is, like, don't be a fast. We never said fast-tailed. We just said fast. She said the thing a couple of times about my grandma said fat, fast tail. Okay, because I guess we just said fast, but I'm pretty sure it's the same thing. But like, yeah. point eight is like, d- tell her not to be fast and tell her what happens to girls who are fast. But then like point twelve is like, when she's with, I guess it's basically hinuating like when she's in ma- when she's married, then she does need to give it up to like her husband right. because that's that's what she's supposed to do. That's her yeah. job. Yeah. So it's like it kind of points out the hypocrisy of some of the things we expect of women. I thought it was really good. I, I agree. That one in A Lotus for Michelle, which is basically a letter to Michelle Obama about the bullshit she went through during um, the Obama administration. Yeah, I like that one. I did lot. too, because um, I guess I got angry all over again. I didn't realize, I guess, the full extent of the bullshit. And then I read it in this essay. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. um, there was one I wanted to hear your thoughts. Wait a minute. Thoughts on. It's actually kind of going back because I would yeah, like to sure. hear your thoughts as a person who is biracial when people play that 
Oh, people always think I'm biracial card. Just I'm just sort of it has nothing. I'm not accusing the writer of this, but I just like it's come up yeah. a couple of times where I hear where people who are like light skinned say like people always think I'm mixed or something. People claim mixed as a way to like not like those Distance black people. Themselves. Yeah, I'm not here for it. <laughs> First of all, I need everyone to stop. I need my fellow mixed women to stop playing this bullshit. And I'm going to need light-skinned black women to stop throwing us under the bus, too. Like, saying, ooh, I'm mixed, or I'm 116th this, or whatever. Ooh, you know these mixed girls. Stop that. <laughs> and for the, uh, I think I told you, like, when we, so we went to the, um, the fantastic um, uh, university in Missouri. <laughs> Um, that's come under some troubles recently um, for racist incidents. And when I was a freshman, um, someone went around like carving swastikas into the doors of the Jewish kids and hanging little nooses on the door handles of the dorms where black kids lived, right? I love how racists are like not original at all. Like, right? <laughs> just sure, whatever. Go ahead. Sorry, um, I didn't mean to interrupt. It's just like that's lazy okay. Shit. It's like it's like mm. um. So we decided to start a club of racial harmony, um, called Diversity Crew. I don't know who picked out that name, <laughs> but um, it kind of sounds like you all go rowing in the after on the weekend, right? Like we're on some kind of boat <laughs> going toward racial harmony. I don't know. But they always had snacks, so I went. <laughs> That's a very college And, thing. I mean, you know, them, them sandwiches weren't going to come to me for free if I didn't go to the meeting. <laughs> um, so I remember, like, we went around and we had to talk about, like, our ethnic backgrounds and our experience with racism or whatever. And there was it was me and there was one other mixed girl there. And... Um, you know, I'm not super light-skinned or anything like that. I'm just kind of medium. Um, but this girl was, you know, very, very light-skinned, long curly hair, kind of that look, you know, like that, ooh, that's what mixed girls look like look. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you're part Italian, then, you know. Um, but anyway, uh, so I remember she was talking about how, like, Basically, a lot of the things that Morgan was saying, like, uh, you know, I wished I was white. Uh, I didn't. I never fit in with the, I was too black for the white kids and too white for the black kids and all this stuff. And she was, like, crying and stuff. And, you know, she was really getting on with it. And everyone was having, like, a kumbaya moment. And I remember, like, the mod, like, turned to me and she was like, Molly, you said you're mixed. Did you have this experience, too? I was like, nah. <laughs> So, like, that's never, and I don't know if it's the way, like, my parentage, like, my mom teaches critical race theory, and my dad's, like, a crazy man from Brooklyn. (laughs) Like, I don't know if it's just the way that they kind of, again, raised us to be around family and had, like, a really strong sense of, like, your ancestry is kind of, like, you know, it's good. It's a positive thing. Like these are positive romance. Like I had a lot of that growing well, up. You were. So I never felt like this. This like need to cry about it. And so you were raised by a black woman and a man from New York, two of the most vocal. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, I love it. So I, 
yes, when I hear like, um, and it kind of goes on the color colorism lines, which I know there's been a lot of wild stuff popping off about that. And again, I want to say to, um, I want to say to mixed women and to light skinned black women, y'all relax, relax. This. Let others talk sometimes. So, <laughs> slightly off topic, but slightly on. Did you hear the news about how Amanda Steinberg... I did. ...said that uh, she turned down a role in Black Panther because she said that as a light-skinned black woman, it was not a play... Like, she said that that was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for a dark-skinned black woman, and she didn't want to take that space. Right. And, and I think she also said that it just wouldn't make any sense for there to be light-skinned black people in... Wakanda because they were now like it's the the whole impetus is like this is a place in Africa that was never colonized Mm -hmm. and that was isolated so it's like it it wouldn't make no sense (laughs) for her to be in it so I commend her I commend her I like Amanda a lot yeah she's pretty Um, woke I'm sure she's gonna be picked up somewhere in the Marvel universe maybe she can you know, be in the sequel, be friends. Cause I think she auditioned or she was going to audition or whatever it was for the role of Shuri, the sister. Oh yeah. That would have been weird. That would have been weird. And I really, really, really liked Leticia, right? Yeah. She was so good in that role. I loved it. Like she was great. And do you watch black mirror at all? No. And I need to, because people keep referencing things get more effed up. People just keep referencing it. And it's like, I gotta watch that. I gotta watch that show. See what it's about. Well, she's in a really, really good episode of that, too. And she's playing, like, a totally different type of character. So the girl's got range. That's good. I want to see more from That's her. That's good. I will say, like, as... Ex- I feel like the black... We don't need... We're going to have our episode discussion. I won't say it here. I'm just yeah. saying I'm just glad that this movie came out and is offering... I'm glad it exists. That's all I need to say. Yes. So Exactly. Um, so I think it's... This was an interesting read. I liked... Did you... um? There was one part, I think, in the when she's in Japan, human not black. Mm-hmm. This is off side, and I just want to say this is the second most relatable moment in a memoir I've ever read, where she's talking about uh-huh. the books or the TV show she watched as a kid, and they're all shows <laughs> I watched as a kid, and I think this is the uh-huh. first time I've met her memoir by someone who's like a contemporary, because most of the time it's like old timey shit or stuff that I missed. Hers was like uh, Ren and Stimpy and all those Nick Sailor Moon, yeah, all yeah. those Nick shows. This is a total shallow observation, but I did like have this moment where it's like, oh, I know those shows. And it's like, it was just really surreal that like she's basically our age. That also sort of yeah. came up in her, her talk, like why she wrote this now while she's still like sort of becoming a person as opposed to uh-huh. a memoir you wrote right later after you, you know, become a person. And she said she wanted to record how she was now, which I thought was mm. interesting. And maybe that's why it's kind of messy because She's not a fully formed person yet. She's younger than That's us. True. She's, I think. Yeah, she's younger. I think she's 27 or 28. So, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. I can't remember what I was doing at 27 or 28. I didn't have a book, <laughs> so I can't say too much shit. So. Right, right. Yeah. And I don't want to say, like, I hated this book, girl. It's so awful. Or even that I wouldn't recommend it. But I feel like maybe... It just didn't resonate with me. And that's fine because I don't think we always have to read books, especially memoirs, to reaffirm what we already know. Mm-hmm. It's like sometimes we got to read them to be challenged. Yeah. So and to see a different perspective. So um but yeah, it was I'm kinda 
I've been realized that we've been reading a lot more essays and short stories than I thought, and a lot more nonfiction. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad to be. This podcast, I will say, has been effective in getting me to read different types of books. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so yeah. So I mean, are we? Is there anything else we want to say about this one? It's gotten a lot of buzz. Like I've seen it on a lot of it lists. Is. Yeah. So I would say definitely check it out if you're interested. There's no reason to like to not check it yeah. out. Yeah. Um, but it's not like there's it's not like the big I don't know, I think it's just there are bigger memoirs, if that word makes sense. There are memoirs that are taking on bigger hers is a lot more subtle. And I think I kinda appreciate that. Yeah, it's like I would I think she's trying to speak universally, but I think going in just keep in mind that this is her experience. Yeah. Like, especially if you're um, uh, not a black woman of about this age. Yeah, that's And you're, true. like, looking to see, like, don't confuse us for how everybody is feeling, even though I feel, and maybe it's the marketing more so that I see, like, ooh, jump into somebody's head, and I'm like, well, I, I don't recognize it here. So just, just take it for for this person's experience. And I think, and this isn't her fault at all, it's sort of like there can only be one black thing. Yeah. So it's like people are like, oh, I want to read a book about, you need to read multiple books to get multiple yes. range. You can't just read one book and have that yes. represent like, oh, this is the black female experience. It's a part yes. of the black female experience. And Yes. Be wary of any marketing campaign that's saying that because <laughs> i feel like even i couldn't tell you every part of the black female experience because i right. haven't lived all of them so right like we grew up in missouri like <laughs> we don't know shit about being from jersey you know what i mean i couldn't tell you what her life was like i couldn't tell you what somebody's life who grew up in brooklyn or harlem was like i can tell you about kansas city i can't even tell you about st louis <laughs> i could tell you what it was like to grow up off a truce in Kansas City. Like, that's what I could tell you about. Speaking of, you know, who I want to give a little shout out to when we're talking about representation. Have you seen the new Janelle, Janelle Monet? I need um, to. Videos? I've been like waiting on it because I was like, I want to sit down and watch this because I know it's going to be good. And I've just been like so wrapped up. I never sat down. And, but I, want, I love Janelle Monet like music. I love her music so much. I love it. That's good. Because I think her last full album was what, The Electric Lady? Yeah, that was a while it, ago. Huh? It really was. It maybe 2012, maybe 13. Yeah. So yeah, I have to listen, no, I have to listen to that. So yeah, thank you for reminding me because I knew it was there and I <laughs> forgot about it. But uh, yeah, she was in um no wait she was in Moonlight. I finally saw Moonlight. So did you like it? it? Was, How'd you like it? It was good. And like this is another example. I'm like this is like you've never seen a story about yeah. like a poor black kid dealing with like his sexual identity told in that right, way in a way that was like it had like realness and sadness yeah. to it but i love that the ending is like positive like saying like this guy ooh, if you're gay you're black and you're broke then you are consigned to a life of suffering and no one will ever love you like sometimes that's the me the only message that i hear right. in these coming of age tales so it's just it's so refreshing to say hey you can be black and happy yeah and it was also so, like, I've developed a thing for, like, cinematography. I just really love really good oh, cinematography. Gorgeous. The colors and the angles and the whole mood was just really pretty. I loved it. It was just top to bottom. That's just such a beautiful movie. Yeah, so. 
And I guess it's just like about this time last year, they snatched that award from Lola. <laughs> did. So. I've had all these tweets on Twitter. It was like, happy one year anniversary. Right. <laughs> and I was like, that was like, wild. That was such a wild moment. A man lost so his wild. job over that. Right. It's like on the one hand, I like hate that, you know, their award you know, acceptance was marred by such stupidity. But on the other hand, just to see them get up on stage and snatch that award, like over, like a totally, what is it? Mediocre. Uh, Mediocre movie. Just to be like, no, we're not playing this game. And then, but I was irritated by like Jimmy Kimmel's entire, I wish we could all get... I will say the director of La La Land probably handled it the best. Like, yeah. Jimmy Kimmel's running around like, well, can't everyone just get Oscars? It's like, no, bitch, I made the best. Yeah. I did the best. That's why you gave me the best. Yeah, and that's why the director is like, I'm going to be very honored to hand this to my friend who won. Like, he handled it very well. But yeah, yeah. I, don't know. I love the first anniversary photos. It was great. <laughs> Everyone's speaking like, of because we're so we're recording this right. I think the Oscars comes on to now. Yeah, they're tonight. Yeah. Um. Do you think? Uh, did you see Get Out? I need to. Okay, I need to see Get Out. I was afraid, <gasps> so I went through a period. Where I was like, I can't deal with anything that has racism in it because it's like I'm uh-huh. very tender right now. I just need right. no racism movies. Like I had Twelve Years a Slave on my. Library, I still have yet okay, to I watch. I still have not seen 12 Years of Slave. Because <laughs> I'm like, I gotta be in the moment. Like, you, it's the right move. You see, I still have a Red Underground Railroad for similar reasons. It's like, I read that first chapter. I was like, who? Yeah. I was like, let me come back to this when such and so is out of office. Right. <laughs> but I've heard that Get Out, it's not, at, like, it's not a traumatic type. Like, there's racism in it. I would say that's it, a good, yes. But it's not traumatic, like, as I was. I may be. Because of all the hype and stuff, I may have built it up in my head to be more than what uh-huh. it was. So I am, like, trying to actively... I've been to all the Redbox because I feel like they should be in Redbox, but they're not. So I'm probably just going to break down and rent it or buy it. Yeah. It's good. It's really good. I've somehow managed to avoid all spoilers, so I still don't know. Oh, really? Because anytime... <sighs> you got to watch it. Anytime I see anything, I'm like, nope, and I leave because I'm like, I don't <laughs> want it spoiled. Because I've heard, like, if you go in not knowing what it's about at all, yeah. it's, like, the best. So I've it's the best. <laughs> been completely cut off. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. I won't say any more of that. So yeah. So I need to. Say, I did. Um. I told Molly earlier. I just saw Coco. I was like, I'm just really glad oh. with like, all over. Like we're getting just more representation. That movie made me cry three times in the theater. <laughs> I cried a lot too. So, um, I do. I hope- looked over. Frank had one little tug tear. <laughs> His manly, the manly tear. The manly, the one manly tear. Ah, oh, that movie effed me up so bad. I was like, oh my god, oh my god, like. And I don't want to spoil that either. It did, watching that made me like want them to try and do a Disney princess again and get it right this time, like a black Disney princess. Yeah, or like just a black yes, yeah, and like yes. get it right because like okay, you learned some things. Like I love Tiana, and whenever I see any like of the quizzes on BuzzFeed where they're like, "What pick a Disney princess?" I pick her. Oh, same. Cause... I always pick Tiana. Same. <laughs> I want their numbers to show. Did I tell you how I went? Um, I went to the Disney store. And there were no, uh-huh. and they had all the princesses on this Christmas tree, and there was no Tiana. And I was like, I want what? reparations now. <laughs> so. I, would have, I would have said, I need to speak to management. <laughs> I need to speak but to I do, I do want like a, a CG, like total CG, um, 
movie with a black princess now. Well, and I just want one where there's a black person who stays a person from the beginning yes. of the movie yes. to the end of the movie. Thank you. Because I'm like, I remember I saw that. I saw that in a second run theater, so I was super late when I saw it, but it was still technically in theaters. And like, uh-huh. she turned into a frog, and I was like, "What is this shit?" She's like, why is she a frog? I was heated. Luckily, there were only three other people in the theater. Yeah. That was when I was in Iowa, too. And, you know, I was looking oh. for anything to distract me. Yeah. So. And all the people shooting bulls. <laughs> that was in St. Louis. That, oh, that was oh, this has happened twice. You made me realize this has happened to me twice in my life. So it happened once uh-huh. in Iowa. And then, yes, there was a similar situation in St. Louis where some yep. cows were on their way to the slaughterhouse in the. The, and they the, said freedom. The truck crashed, and they just were, like, stampeding around downtown St. Louis. Somebody adopted one, and, like, now he's in a pasture somewhere. It's like a movie. Aww. That's a legit Disney movie right there. <laughs> that is legit a Disney movie. So, yeah. So I'm hoping, like, maybe we'll get a take two. Because I was also mad that, like, her friend, like, the friend she was cool Like, her friend was white. Was white, but the friend she was, yeah. like, weren't that close at all and who didn't really yeah. get her were, like, the uppity black like, people. like, oh, Tiana, you so crazy. <laughs> It was like, she can't talk to one other black person throughout this movie. Like, uh, come on. So. Well, okay. And I felt like they did that because they thought if they didn't have a white face, they couldn't market it. And that also pissed me off. Well, okay. But out here, they were showing like the Frozen whatever trailer before. And um, was- they're like, uh-uh. You better take that shit off my Coco movie. You better take that shit out my Coco that, movie. That was I don't want it. so funny. I actually like Frozen, but I cannot stand that fucking Olaf snowman. I, I I'm really think, living about it. I think Moana is a thousand times better oh, than Frozen. It's a much better You can better meet film. me in the street. I will fight you. No. I think Tangled is better than Frozen, I, but... I only saw Tangled once. Moana is... Far, okay, Frozen is a weak movie, like, storytelling-wise. The soundtrack, I think, is really uh-huh. good. But no, Moana is far out away a better movie. Because the story is really weird in Frozen. Like, what the... What are those trolls? Like, it's weird. Like, it's not a yeah. well-told story. It's got a lot going on. Yeah. I'm kind of like, ah. Oh, well, and this makes, uh, from what I heard was, like, she was supposed to be the villain, but then let it go was so good that they rewrote that it they to make her it, yeah. not a villain. And I feel like maybe the story suffered for that. Right. Yes. And I guess they're saying, um, oh, she might have a girlfriend in the sequel. It's like, call me when she does. <laughs> I'm tired of this bullshit, like, ooh, well, Dumbledore was gay off screen. And it's like, show, call me when you man up and you actually have, you know, so representation, representation where it matters. I'm like, you're like, call me when she does. <laughs> I ain't got time for your hits. Because it was like that thing with Gaston and Beauty and the Beast. It's like, oh my gosh, and people are so upset. There's this moment. Or not Gaston, LeFou. Um, LeFou is gay. And all it is is him dancing with the man at the end. And like, oh. and then it like pulls out and the movie's over. That, it's like, call me when you want to be about something. To begin with, that whole movie was unnecessary, but. I didn't see it. Oh, I, I'm gonna, You know what, though? I'm going to go see a lot of I'm going to go see that, too. <laughs> I'm going to go see that, too. I saw it. Like, the Red Box is my best friend when there's a movie I want to see, but I don't want to pay real money to see it. Nice. Like, I saw the Everything Everything movie that way, and I was like, well, uh, that, was, that was an appropriate use of, like, a buck fifty. Yeah. So. Um, there was one other thing I was going to mention. Ugh, I forgot it. Uh, it'll come back to me. Yeah, so we talked a lot about movies. I don't know what's coming. Just I think because so many things are coming out. Yeah. it's a, Like I said, it's a good time for, like, 
black TV and black movies and black media. Right. So I want I want to see more sitcoms. Yeah. <laughs> like the 90s sitcoms. It's time. Living Single is on Hulu now. So oh. it wasn't for the longest, but all six, okay. seven singles. That was my show. That's what I thought. Like I wanted to grow up and be like Maxi. <laughs> that was cute. like my, that was my aspirational uh you know how people say like, oh, we could be like Sex in the City. No, I want to be like Living Single. It's like nah, <laughs> <laughs> I want to be backseat. Uh, I want I want some new ones too. I love Blackish, um, but I want I want more. I want like, you know, you have Fresh Prince. I liked Family Matters. I don't care what anybody says. I liked Family when Matters, I was... but I haven't watched it as an adult. Like, ooh, don't ten year old me loves not. Family Matters. <laughs> Steven is not a good person. <laughs> he is super creepy towards Laura. And I'm like, Carl, you are a police officer. Why are you not Get recognizing this, this behavior? Get this child stalker out of your house. It was wild. Yeah. And then apparently he was supposed to be a one-time character, but he proved to be... That's like epitome yeah. of the 90s, though. Like somebody's supposed to do something, but the people love it so much that they just bring it back until you're sick of it. Did you ever see, um, like, Key and Peele's show? No. So they have one um, skit about Family Matters where um, the guy who plays Carl, whose name is, like, I'm going to tip my tongue, comes in to, like, the executive's office, and he's, like, he's, like, uh, complaining about the storylines because, uh, Urkel keeps turning him into a sandwich or a rock. And he's like, I don't know where the other family members went. He's like, I didn't sign up for this. It's it's hilarious. And the kid who plays, uh, who played um, little Chris Rock and everyone hates Chris comes in to play Urkel. It's hilarious. <laughs> it's just, that show got wild. Cause like, I remember the season finale because it was so, or the series finale because it was so mm-hmm. bonkers. Like Urkel ends up going into space and then they think mm-hmm. he's lost and Laura, for some reason, starts returning his feelings. It's it's a wild show. It's, and don't forget, it's a wild show. Don't forget for a brief moment, they had series where Steve Urkel would go into a machine and become Stefan Urkel, who eventually don't you, became his own person. Excuse me. Excuse me. Stefan Urkel. <laughs> like, I'm like, that. sometimes I have to say, I'm like, wow, they did that. That happened. Somebody yep. wrote that, and then they acted it out and put it on TV. There's a whole weird thing with Richie. The little nephew gets a girlfriend. Wasn't he, like, some kind of, like, genius, too? Like, he has his own little mini lab, or am I making that up? He did something. He had some crazy... Are you making a smart guy? Oh, yes, maybe. Are you mixing smart guy with Dexter's lab? I don't know. I can't remember. It could very well be that he also was a genius, but... but... the more I think about that show, like, because I'm pretty sure it probably just started out as, like, the Black Full House. And yeah. then it, like... It just Those went early, insane. That first season. Yes, yes. And then it goes completely insane. <laughs> It's like, well, let's watch run the one it. where he almost where he um, gets drunk off of um, little airline bottles of uh, uh, booze, of liquor, and then almost falls off a roof. It's hilarious. It's, it's just wild. I also kind of like it because of the '90s fashion. I have a soft spot for like '80s and '90s fashion, especially oh, yeah. like black '80s and '90s fashion. Because we were watching Two Two Seven the other day. Did you do you remember that show with Jack A? Oh, and yeah. the maid, uh, Florence Henderson, not Florence Henderson. Uh-huh. No. no, was she in that? She's the, she's the one the from, maid from Brady Bunch. The maid from the Jeffersons. I'm mixing up. 
Marla Gibbs, her name was okay. Florence when she was on the Jefferson. <laughs> that was, I just mapped my brain out loud right there. I don't know how I made those connections. But the Ma- Marla Gibbs, the maid from the uh-huh. Jefferson, she plays the mother. And they, like, live in this brownstone in New York, and it's 227. And Jackie, a.k.a. the mom from Sister Sister, plays her, like, mm-hmm. sophisticated, pretty, fast neighbor. And it's, it's wild. Mm-hmm. See, all these sitcoms, and we... We need more. I want a Netflix. Netflix, I'm looking at you. Well, I'm like the only one that's on, because I didn't have cable for the longest. That's why I haven't seen a whole bunch of shows. The only one that's on like primetime TV is Blackish, or that yeah. you can see without a cable subscription is Blackish. Blackish, and then there was that other one. It was named after the guy, oh, the comedian. But that went off. Yes, I don't remember that one. And so. then it's just like whatever is on. TBS, I guess. Do they have <laughs> do they have Tyler Perry stuff on TBS? Is TBS cable or is it That's cable. Oh, and okay. I think t- he may not be on TBS, but I think he does have an own network show. So Tyler oh, Perry okay. is still making garbage unfortunately yeah. for all of us. So yeah. don't get me started on Tyler Perry. <laughs> I feel like I could write a whole a- academic paper on like <laughs> on Tyler Perry. Gosh. Uh So I feel like We've done a great job. Basically, we want more black stories. And don't let yes. this, don't let one black story be the only black st- story you read. Yes. So. Yes. Okay. Would you recommend this book? Yeah. I think, like like you said, don't let it be, don't think you're reading this book and you're learning everything there is to learn about black womanhood because you're not. But mm-hmm. if this is part of your journey to learn more about, like, what it's like to be a black woman in the U.S. in this weird, mm-hmm. effed up time we have, yeah, mm-hmm. I'd say read it. Yeah. It's not, like I said, it's not the fastest like book it's not as like big and i keep using that word but i cannot think of another word or explosive as some of the other memoirs we've read but Uh it's not it's not bad i wouldn't say don't read it yeah i'd agree i'd agree yeah so and i'm like i'm glad i read it how was the audio does she read it so she read it yeah she did a good job reading it because i feel like i mean it's hard word so (laughs) of course she would i've learned that like and i've told people this like i think memoirs on audible are like the best that's the uh, best experience I've had on Audible is when I'm listening to a memoir by someone and they're reading their own story. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely puts a, a spin on it. So. Because she had that Jersey accent. Yes, she does. <laughs> so, well, like, listening to her read that Bodega story was more interesting than, like, just me reading it. So cause, I could see that because yeah. it has more of a, a rhythm to it. Yeah. When you actually hear, the, hear it in the person's voice. Yeah. You can catch their rhythm when they were writing it. And she's just so New York <laughs> or Jersey, I guess. Yeah. She's so like new, upper East Coast. Yeah. When you said, uh, oh, it was um, uh, interesting to hear someone talk with the, the East Coast accent. I was like, well, wait till you come to the wedding. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to get some accents. Can't wait. <laughs> so, but yeah, so I, again, glad we read, I'm glad I read this one. So I'm going to put it on my shelf. I have the print book. I didn't get the audible. So I'm. Gonna keep it, and I'm glad to have like a new little memoir section. I need to reorganize my bookshelves, and I may do it by genre. So, oh, cool. Right now they're by color because I'm a cliche, and it's <laughs> it's it's not working out. I need to fix it. So, so that's all right. Mine are not organized at all. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like there's a space. Well, it's like I'm trying to get my house together. And oh I was like, yeah. The first thing that's I gotta true. do is get my books organized. So that's true. 
Because I have, though, decided I'm going to cut down on, like, my print book buying. Like, I'm only going to buy the ones I really... I don't want to be, like... Have you seen those books, tubers? And they have, like... They have, like, five or six or seven shelves of books. Half of them they haven't even read. Oh, And it's, like, yeah. it's like you have the books just so you can have the full bookshelves and have, like, a background for something. I don't want to be that. I want to have, like... Yeah. If I have the physical copy of the book, it's because I like it and I really wanted it. Yeah. Or it was on you sale. Read it. Yeah. 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 Well... <laughs> That too. <laughs> so, so this is our my favorite part of the. What have you read? Um. So I um have been reading a whole bunch of little things. Um. I'm still. I'm almost done with Oathbringer. I won't talk about it again because it's been going on for too long. <laughs> um. But I also have been making my way through um wedding date still. See, I'm on the hold for that at my library. I'll get it in oh, approximately yeah. four months. <laughs> I know. That's always the thing with like new releases. It's like, yeah. <laughs> and then um, I was really excited um, because Bingo Love by T. Franklin came out. Um, and um, it's a comic. I guess this is a graphic novel because it's just a standalone. It's a little longer. And it's about um, uh, two ladies. They meet in the '60s and they fall in love, and it's super cute. Oh, and I was like, I that read, one, yeah, that sounded cute. Which I really want us to read on the podcast. So I'm not going to say too much, but I will say that um, you know, it came out on Valentine's Day, and I pre-ordered it like a super long time ago. I don't even remember when. But I saw like, ooh, you know, your the payment went through on Amazon. I was like, cool, cool. And so I was waiting. I was waiting. I was like, it should have been here today. It should have been here. <laughs> but I didn't realize I brought the um, Kindle version. Oh, so you were looking in your Audible library for it and it didn't load? No, no I was looking like oh, in the mail for book. it because <laughs> it's a comic book. So I was like, do-do-do, just waiting for it to come. Yeah, I don't I do not do those. Uh, I don't do those. um kindle comic books because they're a mess yeah they it's hard to read if you don't get the the like guided view right and then it's like then you gotta go back in you gotta go back out so i might re-get it um but i it's really cute guys i would recommend it yeah i need to i need to check that one out because i saw it and it looked really cute and you're like we should read this for the for the podcast and i was like yay and then i kind of forgot about it um was that all i have a bunch of stuff i read uh, yeah, go ahead. Okay. Uh, I started listening to books on Audible at work. I've decided to start taking advantage of that. Um, okay, okay. I read A Kind of Freedom on Audible. Actually, that was an Audible critic that I turned around because it was not the good. Did I say this last episode? A Kind of Freedom by Margaret Wilkerson Sexton. I don't think you did talk about it. Okay, so it's sort of like it's sort of like a, a family saga, and it starts in New Orleans with like this Creole woman, and she marries a boy her father sort of disapproves of because he's... He's not, he was enrolled in medical school, but then World War II happened, so he's not able to continue that. And so it sort of mm-hmm. follows the family through the generation. So you see her daughter, who has to deal with, it's the 80s by this point, and her husband gets addicted to crack. So she's like, should I let him back in? Should I? Uh. And then we find her, follow her son, who is in New Orleans after Katrina, mm-hmm. and sort of his struggles to, like, land on his feet and get his family together so it sounds like really good my issue was it's incredibly short it's like maybe um what does it say i want to say 200 some odd pages oh yeah that's short. but um according yeah according to goodreads it's 256 pages and i'm like 
for the kind of story you want to tell, that's not a lot of room. So it's sort yeah. of, yeah. And I think it kind of reflected that, like everything just felt quick. Oh, and like co- you wanted more. Yeah. And like you're covering three different generations who each have their own, like, yeah. One's dealing with like Jim Crow and World War Two. The other one's dealing with like the crack epidemic, and the other one's dealing with Katrina. Yeah, those are three big <laughs> topics. Yeah. So it was all right. I read An American Marriage by Tiari Jones. Oh. Yeah. Another TV read potential. Yeah, that one was good. I feel like I would have gotten more out of it if I were actually married, as I'm not <laughs> and have never been married. I was like, eh. But it was good. It set up a good conflict. Um, if you know the gist of it, basically, there's a couple. He gets wrongly accused of a crime goes to jail for five years and then he comes back out so it's like how do we put our family back together so it was interesting but again i probably would have gotten more out of it had i been in a marriage yeah Yeah. it's about a marriage basically um i read a new romance by the bittersweet bide by vanessa riley it's a historical Mm. romance i learned the term blackamoor which is apparently how black people used to be referred to not a fan huh it takes place in like the 18th or maybe the 1700s and she's uh-huh. um a black woman who's able to marry well enough to become like a proper lady but then her husband dies so she's got to look for a new a new husband to protect her child oh so, i see but when people are insulting her they call her a blackamoor or something and i'm like oh no yeah that's weird <laughs> so that was interesting it was good it, i wanted the ending to be more petty and vindictive but i'm petty <laughs> and vindictive so yeah so this one you probably heard of i finished up crazy rich asians by kevin kwan okay it's yeah gonna, how'd you like it it was good it's gonna be a movie in august do not go into that book expecting like literature like i don't even know how to put it for genre because it's like it's it's such a fun read it's not like you're not supposed to get anything serious out of it and it's funny because all the negative reviews are people are like this book is so shallow and blah 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 i'm like it's a book about rich people like yeah and like who like being rich don't go into it it's Expecting, like a, yeah yeah it's like if you're going on vacation take that okay. one and then the okay. last one this is the last one i promise um this is the one that freaked me out the most so have i told you about my weird obsession with like the original night stalker <laughs> Like yes. It, I feel like it's come up. For those who don't know, the original Night Stalker was like the serial killer who was active in like the late 70s and mid 80s yeah. in California. He's <laughs> never been caught. He has a whole bunch of names because at the time they didn't realize one guy was doing all these crimes in different areas. So Patton Oswald's wife was writing a book about him, Michelle mm-hmm. McNamara, and she passed away before she was able to finish it. But they've edited and put it together. It's called I'll Be Gone in the Dark, One Woman's Obsessive Search for the Golden State Killer. That's what she calls him. I call him Original Night Stalker because I feel like that properly encapsulates how creepy the a horrible he was. things he was doing. <laughs> because, like, he, he was a rapist and he only murdered 10 people, but he was such a creep. Like, he would break into victims' homes, take the bullets out of their guns, <sighs> hide, like, the ropes and bindings and his own weapons, and then leave, and they wouldn't know he had been there. And it's yeah. rumored that one guy found him. <laughs> like, he just found this, like knife and rope in his house oh i would God. burn i would burn my i would burn house. my house down i was like i can never go back <laughs> so i read her book it was okay i kind of wanted it to be creepier but i think because she passed away she was never able to like so people sort of went after her and sort yeah, of edited it and put, put it, it together. together and like the parts that you can tell are written by her are really really good like she mm-hmm. sort of weaves like her own personal memoir like why she got into true crime and all this mm-hmm. other stuff but then towards the end where, like, I guess she wasn't able to polish it as much. Like, one chapter is just 
an audio transcript of an interview. And I'm like, what the hell? So, yeah, oh, because well, I did it on yeah. Audible. So it's like one oh, narrator reading multiple parts of an interview. I'm like, I see. It was, t- yeah. So, yeah. So yeah, but I'm I'm telling guys, <laughs> I could talk about the original Night Stalker for hours. I could do a separate podcast just oh about God. the original Night Stalker. He creeps me out. He's terrifying, and I'm glad I don't live in California. Right. He's, Thanks for that. He's, he's probably still alive. Not to freak no. you out. <laughs> they estimate he's still alive. They say there's a no. pretty good chance he's still alive. So not to, because he calls his his past victims sometimes. Uh uh-uh. uh. <laughs> <laughs> No, thank you. Look, the more you learn, and then the more I learn, the more creeped out. Because apparently he committed his early crimes with no pants on, and I'm like no. the audacity to break into someone's house with no Bare pants ass. on. No, uh-uh. assault them and then just leave. Like, because mm-hmm. one witness says like he saw the guy like walking down the street and he was just casually walking with no pants. Oh no. So, I'm sorry. I just had to get that <laughs> off my chest. I read that book and I have all the thoughts about it. Please tweet me at Danny underscore Lacey if you would like to talk about the original Night Stalker, a.k.a. the Gold State Killer, a.k.a. the Diamond Knot Killer, a.k.a. Yeah, and that's, the East that's, that's Danielle, not Molly, because I will block you. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I don't know. It's just I'm so upset. I finished it at like 1130 at night and I was like, well, no, I got what? work tomorrow. I got work. It's like, well, I guess I'm just going to be tired at work tomorrow because I'm not going to bed. <laughs> I checked Uh-oh. all the locks. Mm-mm. Hi, I'm fine. <laughs> oh, and I think on a lighter note, I reread a Beverly Jenkins title I read before, that one you started in the desert. Forbidden? Gets, yes. Yeah. And I did this one on Audible, and it's uh-huh. hilarious because there uh-huh. is a character who is always identified as the minor Gabe Horn. <laughs> But I read it fast, so I always thought she was saying minor gay porn, and I would have to stop the book and be like, I know that's not in the story. What the fuck? It's like, that's that man's name? So I'm like, this isn't that man's name. Wait like, a second. I was like, Miss Jenkins did not put that in her book. What is this? So that's it. So that's about five or six, I think. That's that good. I went through. Yeah. That shows how long it's been since we last recorded. That's true. It's been a minute. So, uh, Yeah. Uh, serial killers. <laughs> I'm like so messed up. Um, I don't even know what we do now. I'm just, I can't get past that. We have a question. Um, we do have a question um, for our next BCL chat. Um, fittingly, since this, this conversation was. <laughs> <laughs> um, what book would you like to see adapted into a TV, movie, or some other um, media. Yeah. A play. Someone yelling it at you. You know what? Now that, <laughs> now that you say that, like, it would be fun, like, if we brought, like, old-timey radio dramas back. It would be. Like, as a podcast. I'd listen to it. I think yeah. that there are some podcasts that do that. Yeah. Like, that should take off more. I read something that was, like, in the vein of serial, but it was fictional. And it oh, was yeah. kind of neat. Like, it was... Like, it was presented as a nonfiction piece, but everything was made up. And they had, like, experts who would come on and, like, talk about this disappearance. I think it's called Limetown. And basically, the whole. Yeah, like, the whole city disappeared. And it's like, so. Oh, yeah. The narrator, yeah, yeah, is a reporter who's, like, investigating this disappearance, but everything's fake. Yeah. If you want to see, um, and I'm sorry to. No, you're fine. Cut you off. Um, 
But if you want to see a really, like, amazing, like, uh, uh, satirical take on, um, like, true crime in general, but um, uh, serial in in particular, um, I don't know if you've seen um, American Vandal on Netflix. No, I'll have to check that one out. It is so good. It's hilarious. It's like a, basically this kid gets expelled from school because they say he spray painted a bunch of dicks on people's cars, the faculty's <laughs> cars. So this sold, of, sold already. This his classmate like goes to prove like as if he was Sarah Caning based like he these kids just ape this medium so well. And everyone like last year was talking about, oh, the Stranger Thing kids, the Stranger Thing kids, they're such good actors and all this stuff. I was like, guys. Please, somebody watch this show because it's they did such a good job and it's just it's pitch perfect. What's it called and again? It's called American Vandal. It's on Netflix. Okay. I'm gonna find it. And I don't want to like spoil anything, but it gets like really deep into like it actually has like some good points about true crime as a genre. And I was like, I did not expect this to get so deep. In the I love show it. about people spray painting dicks on cars. <laughs> but if you watch it, Danielle, you have to tell me what you think because I okay. really, really, really liked it. I'm going to start because like I like I feel weird consuming true crime because I feel like uh-huh. I am like taking part in an exploitation of someone's suffering like mm-hmm. someone people died and now we're making a profit off it right but at the same time like there's something about it that's really interesting so right yeah I would watch it and then tell me what you think about that tweet me if you watch that tweet Danielle <laughs> about the Golden State Killer <laughs> About the original <laughs> Night Stalker. She's like, I'm only here for vandals who spray paint dick something. Keep your murder elsewhere. So, but yeah, I think that's it for this episode. Okay. I think it's a solid episode before I like freaked myself out towards the end. <laughs> um, okay, promotions. Yes. So you can find us on Twitter at Black Chick Lit, on Instagram at BCL Podcast, and at, online at blackchicklit.com. Um, I'm fixing that up now that we've got our hosting. Yay. You'll see links there. So um, there may be some issues with – it should be fine. I should be able to switch everything over really quickly. But if you ever listen to an episode, it's like, it's not loading. Just let me know, and I'll double-check the link. Yeah, we'll fix it. we got to get that content down. <laughs> we got to – we were saying earlier that basically the website called um, Danielle and said, you better call Tyrone <laughs> tell him to come on. Because well, because like we were newbies when we started this, so I was just posting all our audio files where uh-huh. we do our web hosting, uh-huh. and like web hosting is really only meant to like host pictures and pages. Yeah, so we were. And I've got like this fifty megabyte audio file. We ate through that fast, fast. So yeah, now like please get this somewhere else. So good. we've got proper hosting now. We're legit. Um, <laughs> um, if you have any questions or comments, or if you're interested in sponsorship opportunities. You can email us at contact at blackchicklit.com. That's contact at blackchick.com. Blackchicklit.com. I don't know what blackchick.com is. Probably something different. Maybe something racist. Be careful. Um, (laughs) Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes and Google Play. This helps other listeners find the podcast. Actually, I think iTunes now is Apple Podcasts because they're branding. Yeah, you know something. what platform we're talking about. Find Check it somewhere. <laughs> Go out and whisper to Google. I want to hear Black Chicklet and 
Wasn't that a mini controversy in like the podcast sphere of which there's only like five people? But it was like people were like, "Stop telling people to go find your oh, content." Oh yeah, yeah. It was like, a "Stop telling people to listen wherever you find podcasts because they don't know." And it's like, "But if they're listening, they me, found it somehow. They found it. They found me once. <laughs> go back yeah. and find me there again." So however you're listening to us, continue to listen to us. <laughs> Just do that again. Yeah. Um, um, and then uh, thanks to Sweet 45 for our theme, Jonesen. Um, you can find them at soundcloud.com slash Sweet 45. Sounds good. Awesome. So that's it. That's it, guys. Hope you have a great March and we'll hear you. talk to you all next time. Talk to you next time when we're going to be discussing what all books, the movies, all the movies, all the movies <laughs> and um, the books from which they come. <laughs> awesome. All right. Bye, bye guys. Bye.